Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The sexually liberated woman gets her orgasms from shock rubs. Shock Rubs is the original crystal sex toy company that makes beautiful handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. I know you've heard me talk about them before, about their crystal dildos especially, which I love, but they also make yoni eggs. Shock Rubs yoni eggs are diamond grade and GIA certified, which means that their crystals have the highest standard of quality and durability. When used properly, Chakrab's yoni eggs can help strengthen the vagina and pelvic floor muscles, increase sexual pleasure, and give you fuller, more embodied orgasms. Pair that with the metaphysical properties of the crystal, like rose quartz, jade, or amethyst, and you've got yourself an incredible healing tool. So if you want to give your pelvic floor some extra special love, go to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 15% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION for 15% off your Yoni Egg purchase. Give your vagina something beautiful and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, I'm Evian Whitney, and this is The Sexually Liberated Woman. I am so excited to share today's episode with you. It's a conversation between me and my amazing friend, Ali Oops, about sex work, porn politics, and how we can't talk about sexual liberation and sex positivity without talking about and supporting sex workers. But before we get into all of that, I have some shout outs to give. Every episode, I like to take a moment to highlight all of the people who are supporting the sexually liberated woman, people who are giving this podcast literal life with their precious coins via Patreon. So shout outs and big love goes to Lydia S. and Madeline S. for becoming new patrons of the sexually liberated woman. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate you both. And if you want to support the sexually liberated woman, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. By becoming a patron, you help cover all the expenses of operating the show. And in exchange, you'll join my community of rad sex posse folks who are on this journey of sexual liberation, just like you are. You're welcome to chip in as little per month as a dollar, but I will say that if you donate $5 a month or more, you'll get some pretty special perks like 15% off all of my courses and exclusive sneak previews of upcoming episodes. But no matter how much you give, you'll always get a shout out on the show. So if you've been listening for a while and you love what you hear, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. It helps not only keep the show going, but also allows me to continue having incredible conversations about sexual identity and expression, just like the one you're about to hear right now. So as I said a moment ago, I'm chatting with sex activist and porn performer, Ali Oops, who was actually on The Sexually Liberated Woman a few years ago. When she was on last time, we talked about taking and posting nudes on the internet to reclaim your erotic power, and also the frustrating politics of Instagram censorship, which I actually just had one of my posts wrongly removed from Instagram, and I am still pretty bitter about it. Anyway, the first conversation I had with Ali about sexy selfies is still one of my favorite episodes to date. And if you want to revisit it, check out episode 15. But this time, I brought Ali on to talk about the sex work she does as a porn performer and producer and how it was she got into this work. We also get really deep on the subjects of porn literacy, the history of feminist porn, and what the difference is between that and ethical porn, and also how to support sex workers. This conversation is filled to the brim with some amazing gems, and I actually just want to shut up (laughs) and get right into it, but not before saying a couple quick things. First, as we're talking about sex work here, I want to remind you, if you don't know, that there's a huge difference between sex work and sex trafficking. And if there's any part of you that is trying to equate the two, please take a moment to do a Google because that misperception is ill-informed and dangerous. The other thing If you consider yourself a sexually liberated person and or a feminist and or you believe in the sexual liberation and sexual agency of others and or you've made it your job to instigate sexual liberation in others through things like sex coaching, pole dancing, sensuality courses, or any other forms of sexual healing and you're not using your voice to stand up for and support sex workers you should be. And if you want to know how to do that, keep listening. Sex worker rights are human rights, and we ourselves aren't sexually free until all of us are sexually free. (laughs) 
Ali, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I am so excited to have you again. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for having me back. It's really cool to have grown together over the last three years and watch each other grow. And it's really an honor to be back on the show. It's so crazy to think that like our first conversation was three years ago. Like it it simultaneously feels like not that long ago and then like decades ago. (laughs) I know. I'm... I'm happy because I feel like my politics have obviously evolved or hopefully have evolved in the last three years. So I'm excited to, yeah, revisit everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that we kind of touched on a little bit in our first conversation was about the sex work you do. And we didn't get super into it because we were definitely talking about Instagram politics and um, nudes and, and things like that, which was so great. But I'm really excited to dig more into the work that you do, which is really radical, really sex positive and something that I think more people should know about. So one of the things that inspired me to want to do this conversation with you is there's so much talk about sex workers right now. Sex worker rights, support sex workers, and obviously a lot of things that are being said against sex work. And I feel like we cannot have a conversation about sexual liberation and not speak about sex work. And so what I want to do with you is just kind of lay a solid foundation as to why sex work is so important in this realm of sexual liberation. And specifically, it's important for people who want to be sexually free and who are so jazzed about being sexually liberated that they recognize that sex workers are a huge part of maybe why we are inspired to be sexually liberated, maybe one of the reasons why we want to have better sex. I mean, I have my own theories about this just because (laughs) I recognize that one of the things that really inspired me to check my own sex negativity and check my own sexual dysfunction was the porn that I was consuming. Like I was witnessing these women who were in total control or so it seems they were in total control of their sexuality. And it was incredibly inspiring for me to see that. And then also was like, oh, shit. Like, I don't have my shit together. (laughs) Like, obviously, I have some super big hangups with sex. And so my theory is that a lot of us come to sexual liberation through the understanding and through the inspiration of sex work. And so, yeah, it just, it seemed like a really great place for us to start that conversation and also just a way to, I don't know, highlight how important it is for us to acknowledge sex workers when we're talking about sexual liberation. Yeah, I just want to say that I really appreciate um, you even saying that at all, because I think a lot of people, um, when we talk about objectifying, like sex workers being objectified, I think that we often think about it through this like, quote unquote, male gaze of men, cis men, objectifying cis women. Um, But oftentimes I do think women are just as... Uh, capable of objectifying sex workers as Mm -hmm. men and I think a lot of that is through like wanting to be the porn star wanting to be the whore but like not wanting to be at all as well and distancing themselves from it and right and I think that is a form where, where I find that sometimes women live vicariously through me and through my experience of that sexual liberation while at the same time like disregarding my humanity or my worth as a human and in the same wrapped up way that it feels like men or cishet men also do so it 
all that to say, it feels really cool to have you recognize that, yeah, that maybe sometimes people's first step into the realm of sexual liberation is through witnessing sex work in some capacity, whether it's online or in a strip club or however people through your dad's playboys from the 80s like usually our first kind of entrance into sex as young people or older people or whatever can be through sex work so right. yeah i appreciate i appreciate just recognizing that Oops, alone is is important to start the conversation yeah it's it's so important because i mean you're absolutely right i who I, I was actually thinking about this right around the time that we did our first conversation. We did our first interview together. And I was thinking about like, who would I be as a sexual person if I didn't see those sexual images in porn or in Playboy or those erotic images on Tumblr? And I mean, there were like two different answers. One would be like, well, maybe I wouldn't have so much comparison. But then the other answer was like, I don't know if it would be possible. I mean, I'm sure there is a way, but I don't know if I would have been able to know that I have access to certain types of sexual liberation or certain types of sexual expression if it weren't for sex workers, if it weren't for the porn that I was watching. I mean, the porn that I watch is a reflection of the kind of sex life I want to have. And so, yeah, it just, it, it means a lot to me to highlight sex workers in that realm. And it's also, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that, which kind of brings back to like what you were saying earlier about how like we, we idolize and obsess over and are inspired by the whore, but we also don't want to be one. And I remember like seeing something, I think it was on Twitter about like, everybody wants to be a hoe, but nobody wants to be a hoe. And like, that's it right there, you know? And that it is so interesting how I live my life navigating that. Like I was joking about it uh, last week, how some of the best allies to me I've found in my life have been, or accomplices, whatever word you want to use, have been the people who know literally nothing about sex or sex work and come in with just such a genuinely pure approach to me versus some of the most like sex positive, like art girls, like it girls who... Um, are appropriating so much about sex work while also screaming from the rooftops that they're not doing sex work. And Mm. it's so horophobic. It uh, reproduces the hierarchy by saying like, I'm sexually liberated, but I don't do porn. And I'm sexually liberated, but I would never have sex with you for money. And I'm sexually, and not in a way that's like, I'm setting my boundaries, which are totally valid and fine, but in a way that's saying I can be hot and naked, but I'm not those people who are hot and naked. And and it's so funny because uh, to, to look around my life now after being out as a sex worker for, I don't know, four or five years now, um, and how much my circles have changed from kind of these surface sexually liberated people to sometimes the most kind of, uh, I don't know, like pure and and vanilla or maybe beginning in their sexual liberation come at it with come at me with just such more open arms and open ideas sometimes Mm. because they're not pushing me away as a threat or or comparing myself to them or saying like I'm smarter than you because I'm a sexologist and not a sex worker yeah or I'm better than you because I have a podcast I make a podcast and you make porn or whatever it's the people who see it all as that creative medium in some capacity or people who understand how capitalism works in a very like nuanced way which is obviously a privilege to, to see that stuff, but how we're all just trying to get by and, and make it work. So if you're shooting e-commerce for 
um, one of the biggest corporations in the world, or I'm sucking the CEO of that corporation's dick. Like both of us are playing into the same system and, and not one is, is better than the other. They're just different. I would also say that my politics have changed so much. Like I think when we were talking three years ago, I was like, I take naked selfies, but I would never do porn. And I would fully go on record being so porn phobic and making sure that everyone knew that I was not doing porn. And, and that is part of the hierarchy. And part of the reason I bring that up a lot now when talking about my work and the fact that I'm doing porn now (laughs) and uh, is that we can all grow in our politics and that I think that we're taught and internalized a lot of this horror phobia. And I want to create space for the fact that we can unlearn that. And it's taken me years to unlearn that. And even within myself, and the best way to explain horophobia to people is like the people who say they want to do porn but won't because X, Y, and Z. Well, those because is are why, like, because your family might find out, because you might not get a job ever again, because it threatens your career in some sort of way. Like, that is the stigma around sex work right there. Those because I won't do this because. Mm. And, and, and we often ignore that. And so the sex workers who are out and who are doing that work, do, we do experience that because, and I was scared of that as well. I was scared of losing my family, losing opportunities outside of um, a career scope that I was excited about. And I can say that, that some of those worst nightmares came true and, and some of them didn't. And it's, it's always going to be hard every day navigating being in such a stigmatized and yet visible industry um, where everyone consumes us and everyone hates us. So it's like such a weird place to be. And you can see it in, um, in suicide rates among porn performers. It's like quite high statistically within our population. And you have these like, you know, 20 something year old girls who are as famous as the Kardashians and who everyone hates and thinks they're disgusting and gross and trolls them everywhere throughout the world. And hearing some of the stories of mainstream porn stars, you know, who have five plus million followers on Instagram, like full on cultural icons who like can't get any kind of advertisements or features. Like, and so we see the ways that those worst nightmares do come true is that, you know, you can be 35, you can be one of the most famous people in the world and no one will work with you still to this day because of your past in porn. And that, that really stuck with me, that story. And I was like, that is your biggest fear is like, when you leave the industry, I'll never be able to do something again. And so it's important for us to like center that as well in people's horophobia and understand like why I was so adamant on not doing porn, which seems so silly now, obviously. I'm, I'm curious, actually, like, I mean, because you're talking about how you had your own horophobia, like internalized horophobia. You knew that like to do porn would be like an isolation. It would be a big deal to people. You would lose friends and, you know, a, a sense of safety would even be less. Like, why did you decide to go into porn? I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think I kept pushing my boundaries a little bit at a time. So I started off doing just like hot girl naked selfies. And then that moved into like, 
showing my vagina, which moved into playing with my vagina, but still in a photo medium, which moved into sometimes having lovers in photo mediums, but still focused on me or no like penetration. And then slowly there was toys in the photos with penetration. And then my platform I was on, which I mean, now OnlyFans is a huge deal and everyone knows what it is and like Patreon and all these different platforms. But when I was uh, started off, this was not at all the phenomenon on the internet. It was very niche site I was on selling these photographs and the platform itself changed. And they said, we have videos now. We've implemented a video medium, which they didn't even have at all as an option when I started. And they were like, making videos, you can earn up to 150% more than you're making mm. now. And it took me a while to get into it because I was like, ah, I didn't, you know, I was really into photos as a medium and I, I didn't want to do porn. And, and then I started, you know, I was like, okay, I should try it. And so I did like the worst masturbation video ever. Actually, I need to like go through and delete <laughs> all this old work. It's like so embarrassing now. Because it was just, I didn't know how to edit it. So it was just like one shot of me like awkwardly like dancing and like stripping, like not a dancer. So it's very weird to watch. And and then moving into masturbation and I couldn't even edit them. So they were just these like one shot, like nine minute, horribly lit, horribly framed videos. And I started making good money like right away. And I was like, okay, I'm like doubling my income. That's cool. Uh, the videos weren't that hard to make. At the time, it felt like, oh, if I'm going to masturbate, I'll just turn on the camera mm. and make some money off of it. And so for a while, that was working. And then this person walked into my life, Julia, or she's known as Scientist. And we actually met on Instagram because I was like, you're using porn stars and you're using like sex workers in your art. Can you like make me this like sex work, international awareness of sex worker like poster? Cause I don't know how to use Photoshop. And she was like, yeah. And that's like how we met me kind of coming in hot and being like, you need to do this thing for our community. And she wow, was Wow. Like, I didn't know all of this. I love the scientist. Yeah. So then, so we ended up meeting and clicked really well because we're both very chill people. And she was just the first person I had met who was a woman who was super interested in what I was doing. So I was making all these naked selfies and I would try to like send them to my friends and they're like, Ali, I really don't want to see your vagina. And I was like, no, that's like, <laughs> that's really valid. Like, and now I know a lot more about consensual pornographic sharing. Obviously I don't think at that time those conversations were necessarily having, or at least I wasn't aware of them and didn't, it was very much like, dick pick no but I was like why can't I just send my vagina to my friends but like now I understand why that is um, another way I've grown a lot so Julia was kind of the first person who was like I want to see the pictures of your vagina I want to see all the pictures you've ever made and she like sat through and clicked through every photo on my site and again this is in a transition time for me where my circles were changing into a more sexually liberated community um, so she was just like the first person who was super down she was like I can take these I can I want to take some photos and so she lived with me she moved in with me and we just started shooting everything we started shooting my masturbation videos she was shooting a lot of my stills it was like really fun and exciting and it felt very liberating for me because I felt a sense of community I hadn't felt at all before and mm. and then one day you know we were making the videos and Julia's super business focused like I'm like such an air sign so like out of it and don't really care and like floating through the world and she was like let's make you money and so we both talked about doing a happy ending video I didn't even think of it as porn we shot it on an iPhone 6 
at my friend had a massage table and we like got this, we brought this guy over that I hooked up with like many, like six months before. And he had done a couple porns. I was like, Hey, if I pay you 50 bucks, will you like come do this happy ending video? Which for users who don't know is a massage that ends with like a hand job, typically on like a cis man's body or on a person with a penis's body. And so we shot it on an iPhone 6, same thing, like horribly shot, horribly made, so awkward. I think we were in the room and the cameras were rolling and I said, I don't know how to give a hand job. And everyone just started <laughs> laughing. And they're like, Allie, what? Like you waited until now? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. I just always figured like guys could do them better themselves. And now I can say I'm a proud proud expert at hand yes jobs girl really <laughs> a year and a half later but we literally had like three people on the set trying to like describe the best way for me to give a hand job and the guy just like shaking his damn head like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, and it was bad I mean this is not a great video but we made so much money and people freaked out because it was just so unexpected so it wasn't like all this to say is a very long story but it's all to say that I started pushing my boundaries by doing a hand job video. Then next we decided to do a blow job video, like super last minute. And then from there we did a few more blow job videos. And then I got hired by a German company who I love, who did the Tinder challenge, which is my like claim to fame in Europe. Everyone knows me from this porn. And uh, that was the first time I had sex on camera. So it wasn't actually for my own work. And for better or for worse, I think it just was like, okay, well, if I'm online sucking dick, like, why shouldn't I have sex? And now I'm at the point in my career where I'm like, okay, I'm online having sex. Why not have anal sex? Or, you know, it just, it sort of was, it was not a conscious decision. And uh, it was, it was kind of accidental. And it was almost in response to the community responding so well to what I was doing. And I didn't wake up one day and was like, I'm going to be a porn star. And actually, I think I'm at the point in my career where I never wanted to be this visible. And I never thought I would be. And I'm having like a whole new relationship to like, do I want to be in front of the camera anymore? I don't know if I'll stay performing long term, um, just because I don't think I'm particularly the best performer. But I think that the porn industry has been incredibly fun to be in at least the side that I've been in. Yeah, before we before we hit record, you were talking about like porn literacy, which I would love to hear more about like what porn literacy means to you. But I'm also curious about the difference between quote unquote mainstream porn and quote unquote feminist porn. Cause I have a feeling that like <laughs> I don't know. I personally, when, when I heard feminist porn, the word, you know, or the, the phrase come out, I was like, Oh, I can dig this. And now I just, I feel like it, I don't know what that means anymore. And so I'm curious about like, like what you think of that. And also if you could talk about like what porn literacy means to you. Well, I think you're picking up on such an important phenomenon that's happening across all disciplines and industries right now, which is, feminism being co-opted yeah. by a corporate agenda for advertisement and money making and I think it makes all of us have complicated relationships to the word and the phenomenon as it exists now in 2018 in late capitalism yeah I think that is such an important point to bring up and I think it actually the same ways in which we are critiquing feminist advertising or feminist branding as a means to sell in 
other industries is the same exact critique in porn and feminist porn. So a little bit of context on feminist porn is it really started around the 80s. Um, Candida Royale is one of the pioneers of feminist porn. And she was one of the first women to make her own production company, basically. And uh, was catering towards the, like, quote-unquote, femme gaze. And Candida Royale heavily employed respectability politics to create feminist porn as a genre and said, this is why we're different than mainstream porn. And Candida Royale, of course, is coming from mainstream porn, where she started performing, I think, around 21 in San Francisco and L.A. And then, you know, I think by the time she was around 30, she was sick of it. And and she had a lot of um, privileges in even being able to do this because to even understand the context in which why women weren't able to own or distribute porn you really have to understand the historical context that porn distribution was heavily mob run and was this kind of gray area, legal, not legal experience where lawsuits were happening. People were going to jail. There were huge scandals and, and the United States landscape was trying to figure out what to do with porn. So it didn't really exist in this super on the table way. So yeah, you could make a porn as a woman, but where would you distribute it? It Mm. wasn't the internet. It was VCR catalogs. You need people who are going to distribute that work. So Candida Royal at this time did something really radical and she was able to kind of intercept in a very hard way, partially because her husband's dad owned one of the biggest distributors, which is important to understand about why she was able to do that. But she started pioneering. She's known as one of the pioneers of this genre of feminist porn where they created it, basically, these young porn feminists, uh, sex positive feminists of the 80s and early 90s. Then now mostly feminist porn is associated with Erica Lust, probably is the most important person um, known with feminist porn. And then kind of in reaction to feminist porn, which kind of stayed for like cis white women, cis white straight women, there was a queer reaction to feminist porn. So then queer porn was birthed maybe in the 90s early 2000s in reaction to feminist porn saying we want to include fat bodies, queer bodies, trans bodies, POC bodies, different marginalized bodies, um, different able bodies in reaction to that. So, so there's been like many kind of sub genres of porn that you could. And then I think right now in reaction to everything, there's ethical porn. So ethical porn is the new hot word that everyone wants to use. Which, what does that even mean? Do you know what? I I mean, I think I know what it means, but like, do we have to have all of these goddamn work? Like, can it just be porn? You know, I don't know. So ethical porn is exciting because, okay, so I'll say ethical porn means something different to everyone you ask. To me, ethical porn in its ideal landscape would apply to the entire industry, which is basically just a set of labor rights in the ways in which porn is created. So like who are the performers being paid? Well, who's on set is how are things being negotiated? How are they being treated? How are things distributed after the fact? Um, How are things marketed, et cetera, et cetera. So there's many things that can go into ethical porn. And I think also for a lot of people, ethical porn is including different sexualities, bodies, etc. So like diversity is an, is an important part of it. But again, everyone you ask about ethical porn is going to give you a different answer. 
But to me, I don't think ethical porn should be a genre. I think it should be a standard yeah. held across the entire industry. Agreed. And and so that's where I think people are getting excited about ethical porn because I think feminist porn was literally birthed out of being like, fuck you to mainstream porn and has actively to this day participated in a fight against each other, including Erica Lust participating in like Hot Girls Wanted, for example, right? So like you or Erica Lust speaking out against like mainstream porn, right? So you, you have these active agents who are saying we're different. Um, and I think ethical porn can be a way to bridge the industries and say, we kind of have more in common than we have different in the sense that like, we're both, why are we fighting each other when everyone hates us? Like, well, how can we come together and work together to create a safer space and also recognize that to be in quote unquote feminist porn is such a privilege. That's why it's important for me to point out my privilege of working with my friends, for example, when people don't understand that being able to say no to a porn job is an immense amount of privilege to only have your repertoire of work be feminist porn is an incredibly privileged place to be. It basically means that money is not your main, <laughs> not your main incentive because feminist and queer porn de- just doesn't make as much money as the mainstream industry. Yeah. And also um, a lot of marginalized people are still not allowed into feminist porn. Like I don't see trans women represented on feminist porn sites like Erica Lust, you know, like I don't, I personally don't see that. I don't, I can't speak if that's not happening at all, but it's like, it feels like trans women still are confined to performing in uh, mainstream porn. So, so have we even opened doors really for in the feminist quote unquote feminist porn industry um, for people who aren't cis white women, Mm -hmm. cis white straight women, and that it's such a privileged place to be uh, in general. So it's just really important to like recognize privileges with feminist porn. It's important to recognize how feminist porn use respectability politics to say porn could be good. And we might not be having these conversations right now without our kind of four mothers or whatever, having those conversations and saying, Hey, porn can be good. Um, But now we're at a point in 2018 where we're saying, why are we fighting each other? Why, why do you think you're better than, why do you think like a feminist pornographer deserves more respect than uh, uh, someone we see on right. front page. Right. Cause it's all respectability politics, you know, it is, it is. So, and that's been really hard for me to unpack as well in my own internalized horror phobia is like giving humanity to mainstream porn performers. Like the second I started following porn, mainstream porn performers on social media, like changed my life because it actually humanized them. And, and there was this one porn I always watched was like this lesbian porn it's with a Beulah Danger and I it was like my go-to one you know if I like wanted to get off really quick and I always felt so much shame afterwards because I was like this is so exploitative like all the things that I've been told that mainstream porn is and then I started following her on Instagram like recently and she's like in a lesbian relationship and like is so cute and cool and awesome and like also posts really positively about her work and is just like a full like complex human being and and it was like all this shame was like washed away from me where I was like that was totally learned and internalized narratives when like this person's more similar to me than she is different she's like Mm. just a queer young like 
maybe not identifying as non-monogamous i do not know her she's a full-on celebrity but like uh just having sex within work and then having a partner and i relate to that and yeah i was just like wow this person that i was really aroused by and i have gained so much from this person's like erotic performance in my life throughout years is and i felt so guilty about consuming it is really just this like cool person who has like so much more in common with me than different and i'm wondering if that like would help like i don't know dispel horophobia like just remembering that like sex workers are humans <laughs> You yeah. know, because like we can so because we're we're a culture that objectifies very easily sex workers. And I mean, I guess in some degree it's it's understandable or it's built in as part of the the viewing process, but we can so forget that like these are people. Like sex workers are people. They are humans. And I, I yeah, I just that was a thought that was coming up for me as I was listening to you talk about this moment where you were like, oh, wow, this is like a person like she has like she has feelings and she has desires and she has a life and she loves and and how that kind of that kind of mindfulness and that kind of awareness can I, I know for me, it's really helped me dispel and just like dismantle my horophobia, remembering that like sex workers are fucking humans. I know, and it sounds like such a basic, obvious thing. Right? Like, I feel like the response is like, yeah, Adele, I know they're humans, but like it is the humanizing process of all marginalized like voices that have helped me dismantle so many different stereotypes or internalize like whatever that I've gotten throughout. Like I wasn't born with these politics. Like I have worked very hard and have access to so many different like privileged spaces to be able to like evolve my politics. But yeah, it's like humanizing any marginalized person is so important. And I think it's one of the coolest things about social media is that it's like ways to learn about people who are different than me. Like maybe I don't have very many asexual friends in my friend circle right now that I know of, but like, I can learn so much about asexuality just by like logging online and listening, listening to someone whose experience that is. And like, even following so many like trans women, porn stars on Twitter and just scrolling through my feed and just constantly seeing trans bodies like naked. And now it's like erased so much internalized, like weird transphobia and like genital focused gender stuff where it's like so detached from me. I mean, also obviously like being in a partnership with a trans person that kind of mixed in with everything has like, but it's like so cool. I'm like, I literally see every different kind of gender and body having sex every day, just scrolling through Twitter. And sometimes at the airport, it's like kind of embarrassing. And I'm like, I can't really go on Twitter right now. because People are going to think I'm such a freak, but it's normalized so many different bodies like whether it's fat bodies having sex differently able bodies having sex whether it's um trans bodies having sex like I feel like I'm so immersed and so humanized now and it's actually had a really good impact I think on my life overall those simple things are just like following sex workers on social media and like listening to us seems so easy but we can see from just our analytics on our page that we're not even there yet
Hey, so since we're on the topic of sex work and porn and sexual liberation, I wanted to take a moment to recommend a podcast I discovered that I think you'll enjoy. It's called The Oldest Profession, and it's a podcast that highlights the heroic stories of well-known and obscure sex workers that have shaped our history. The Oldest Profession is part history lesson, part sexual liberation, part adult story time. And the old pros they've highlighted so far will likely surprise you. They've done episodes about Ani Isnin, Betty Page, the sex and fertility goddess Ishtar, Santa Claus, and Maya Angelou, which, yes indeed, your fave was a sex worker. So if you want to learn about some rad sex workers, check out The Oldest Profession on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. One of the best ways to support sex workers is by listening to them. So check out The Oldest Profession podcast and let me know what you think. I have kind of a weird question. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot because I feel like the work that I do is, I mean, it's 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 work in like the sexuality realm, the sexuality field. And I've been thinking a lot about who gets to call themselves a sex worker. And there was this really interesting conversation that I had a few months back about I was listening to a podcast, Marcia's Plate, and Diamond Styles, who is also a sex worker, she's trans, um, black woman, she was talking about how sex work is like basically the exchange of any kinds of sexual energy, whether that is in taking a sexy photo or, or sharing a sexy photo that may not actually like have sex happening in it, but like basically anything that has that kind of that kind of essence of like, I am exchanging something sexual with you, even to the degree of sending like a sexy selfie or like sort of like the things that I post on my Instagram. She was saying that that involves or or that is a form of sex work. Now, I at the beginning of this conversation was like, hell yeah, I can totally see that. But then what was really troubling for me is that as I was posting this and processing this this on my Instagram story, I was getting people who were like, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a sensual dance uh, instructor. So I would, I, I believe that I am a sex worker. And then I was getting people who were like, yes, I'm a sex educator. So I, I believe that I should call myself a sex worker. And then I started thinking like, oh, no, 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 this is really problematic. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm wondering like what, what your thought process is about that. Like who gets to call themselves a sex worker? This is a really great and difficult question because I figured <laughs> because every sex worker you ask will have a different answer. And I think sex work is an umbrella term, just like maybe trans is. And it's not really up to anyone else to decide who fits in that besides the people who are telling us. Right. But I do think about this a lot. and I do have feelings about it that I can share that are only my opinions and that does not make them correct. That makes them personal. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> um, that disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, that's my disclaimer. I think there's a difference between... First, I want to make a distinction between a sex worker and someone who has done sex work. So to me, a sex to be able to be like, I am a sex worker is someone who's making the majority of their income off of sex work. 
Let's define that in a bit. And I think someone who's engaged in sex work may have done or participated in sex work at a point in their life, but are not either currently a sex worker or are not making the majority of their income from sex work. This is not a definition that is established by anyone. This is just how I feel as a sex worker or as me, individual person. And to me, this is because it gets complicated because like, I know people who've done like one porn with me and then are like, I'm a sex worker. And I'm like, no, you've done sex work. Mm. You've made one porn and therefore you have participated in sex work. But to claim a sex working identity to me is to understand that like we are an incredibly marginalized community and live a systematically oppressed and marginalized life based on our work. So it's, it's, that's somewhere that it gets tricky to me where people um, are, or at least maybe not, I mean, sure, call yourself a sex worker, I guess. I guess sex worker to me is is something that's continuous. And you'll see a lot of people like even like Melissa Gira Grant, like one of the most iconic sex work journalists and writers, uh, probably would refer to herself as a retired sex worker or used to be a sex worker. So you mm-hmm. see like even the older community not claiming like, that they are a sex worker because that's implying that you are doing it right now. But they'll say like, I used to do sex worker. I am a retired sex worker or things like that. So you see the change in that language among our elders in the community as well. So I think like that's something really important to tease out in like the beginning that, um, that if, if for example, like an article is asking you to speak on sex work to think about what your relationship to sex work is and are you the most qualified person because I do think and this is more for like publicity stuff like if you want to call yourself a sex worker in your personal life I doubt it like hurts anyone and that's kind of where the conversation can split off among sex workers where there is no agreement where some sex workers believe that the more people can identify with sex work the less stigmatized will be so like if everyone can see that sex work in themselves like if, if you're a stay at home mom to like a corporate CEO, like you're a sex worker. And like, if you work at Hooters, you're a sex worker. And if you send a sexy selfie, like yours for 20 bucks one time, like you're a sex worker. And I think some people do believe that that will like normalize sex work. I think for the us who and again sex work is an is an umbrella so maybe i mean it's hard to define because i do think sex work is the exchange of sexual services for money so i don't think like posting naked selfies on your instagram if you're not making money off of it would qualify you in my book as a sex worker but if you are like you have a business around sex and sexuality then we're kind of in a different sticky territory right um right right where finance and money and goods, maybe not cash money, but like for even like a Prada bag or like whatever it is, it's the exchange of services for some sort of compensation. So that's really important. The most famous sex workers or the maybe most defined are dancers or strippers, cam girls, porn performers, escorts, street-based workers, or we'll call them full service workers is kind of, I think, the most appropriate name for people who are doing like in-person work. We have massage workers. We have, you know, we have people who are doing like heat, tantric healing, whatever, you know, like there's so much obviously in that umbrella that it would be hard to say like, yes, you're a sex worker. No, you're not. Right. For me as someone who's in a very marginalized part of sex work. So being a like out invisible as a porn performer and then B being an escort in a very incredibly dangerous 
cultural climate for full service workers. It's hard for me to see educators claim sex work because I'm like, you have no idea what it's like to show up and have your life be at risk. And you have no idea what it's like to lose your entire family because like sex educators are viewed as like, wow, my daughter is a sex educator. Like my mom is not telling people my daughter is in porn. My mom tells people she doesn't know what I do for work. That's where it gets hard. And I think that that doesn't make it right. And I can be accountable that like my territorialness over sex work comes from a place of, of marginalization and saying like, hey, I don't feel like I share this experience with you, a sex educator, but I do feel like I share experiences with dancers or different, you know, cam girls or, or whatnot. And also I think it's important to say that every subculture of sex work has its own politics and its own cultures and its own stigmas and things to navigate that I don't even know about. But I think it's important when when taking on a marginalized identity of any kind to really weigh how that affects how that affects your life and and how that affects other people's lives. And especially if you're speaking publicly and holding space publicly as a sex worker to really weigh your privileges and who else could be holding that space um, potentially. Yeah, I I so appreciate you saying all of that. I mean, I have since backed off of. I mean, when I was processing this on my Instagram, I was it wasn't like I'm going to call myself a sex worker now. It was just this thought of like, oh wow, like this is kind of under the umbrella of sex work because I do some parts of my work revolve around me showing off my body and me making money off of it. Maybe not so direct as like I'm taking a sexy photo and someone is paying me for that photo. But I mean, obviously, like that photo brings people to look at like, you know, the work that I do, which also brings people to potentially buy one of the courses that I sell or whatever. So I was in this frame of mind. But the more that I've thought about it, the more even if it is true, like I personally don't don't feel comfortable calling myself a sex worker because you're right. Like I don't live the same kind of life that you do. I don't have the same kinds of threats on my life and my livelihood as you do. I will say that the FOSTA-SESTA stuff has been pretty scary. I think for most people who do work around sex sexuality and there have been many times i mean to to this day like i i open my instagram and i'm holding my breath because i don't know if i'm going to be banned or like completely taken off like without warning you know so like there are certain aspects of the work that i do that is within alignment to some of the challenges that you face, but it's not at all the same. And so, yeah, it's really important for me not to claim a title that doesn't really like it, it, it doesn't really speak to the kinds of experiences that I'm having. But I think you're talking about something really important, which is I, which is that sexuality as itself is such a taboo and fear mongering part of our culture that all of us who engage in sexuality in any capacity, uh, especially if we're doing like pleasure-based sexuality work (laughs) of any capacity, which like our entire culture is like, do not do that. You know, like don't talk about pleasure. Don't talk about what feels good. Don't talk about like taking down the cis het white mononormative society like Mm. we're when you when we are working in these spaces i'm reading a book 
called The War on Sex, and they argue that sex itself is a tool of oppression in which we can interdisciplinary view the world through. So it should be studied on its own as like its own interdisciplinary subject of oppression. I'm probably like totally ruining how these like really cool authors said something really smart. But anyways, and that really changed the frame for me where I'm like, yeah, everyone in the sexuality community, especially pleasure-based sexuality share so much in common we share censorship in common we share a, a course with sesta fosta that affects everyone um and the platforms that you're allowed to use and share are similar with sex workers right like skype or mailchimp or google drive or whatever all these different platforms facebook that- <laughs> Like I'm not allowed to buy any ads on Facebook because I have sex in the title of my URL. It's mind boggling to me. Mind boggling. It's so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it is. It is. It's, it's comical. It's just so so surreal that that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, even YouTube, like last month kicked off every porn performer's profile, even if they weren't doing anything wrong, which is so real. Like they kicked off Erica Lust's YouTube and these are people, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Erica Lust or Pornhub are putting up porn on their YouTube account. Like they know better than anyone how to play the line and, and YouTube made a very clear statement, which is we don't care if you're putting up censored work, you work in porn and you're not allowed on our site. Like I've been, it's, it's actually surreal. I've been kicked off Tinder like three times. For wow. Being I've been, I'm like, it's everyone. It's everywhere. So censorship a hundred percent. I think everyone in sexuality shares the shared. We have a shared experience of sexuality being an oppressive force by these systems that have created sexuality as an oppressive force. So I think we, yeah, I think we share a lot in common and and I have a lot of camaraderie and like a lot of my most, a lot of my friends are not sex workers, but will work in sex in some capacity. And, and I think we can like share experiences. And then there's other experiences where like, we don't share them. Like when you're getting invited to an art party that like I'm not allowed to go to, or like, I can't put my job up on Airbnb without being scared. It's going to be deleted. Right. You know, stuff like that. Like, or I'll be discriminated against where like people, sex educators are a lot more like hot and like trendy and like more liberal circles, of course, but being a porn performer, like fully moving through the world is that can censor my ability to even travel borders. Mm. Cause like when I went to Singapore this last year, uh, porn is illegal in Singapore and that's a place where you can get turned away for being in porn or having any porn on your phone, etc. And now with like the resurgence of facial recognition, it's important to recognize that even like um, out sex workers move throughout the world now with potentially not even being able to cross borders. Wow. So yeah, it's like, it's interesting because it's like my friends who are like sex artists and so cool or make their work off sexuality as a living. We share a lot. But then on the other hand, I'm like, you're never going to be like denied entrance into a country because you like do like sex ed or you're never going to, you know, again, like family stuff or community stuff. I mean, me doing porn, everyone was like, are you okay? That was like Mm -hmm. the response I got. I was like, I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. Like, I can't believe I've spent 10 years having the worst sex. And now like it took me until my late 20s to realize like how liberated liberated could even be I didn't even know sex that I'm having now could have existed three years ago Mm. and so that's and I was a sex worker three years ago so uh, watching myself continue to like grow and evolve and like be liberated while everyone's being like are you okay like do you need help like 
I'm worried about you is like the response I get. And I'm like, I'm happy, but there's no, and then I do that weird respectability politics thing where I get that urge to be like, I'm in porn festivals and I'm celebrated and I'm like this and I'm that and I'm like changing the world and I'm like a queer eye. And then I'm like, whoa, come down off your ego horse and realize that like you sending that text message to like your mom or whatever is like you engaging in respectability politics and therefore like is so hypocritical of what I'm fighting for in the first place. So I, I sometimes do find myself in those spaces where I'm like desperately crying for respect in these like really fucked up ways. And then I like look at my screen and I'm like, I can't send that. I have to find a new way to ask for respect. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's, that's where my like passion with mainstream porn has become is not that I like, it really, I don't really watch mainstream porn and I don't as like a queer person and like who's like watches way too much porn for my work and and I don't know much about mainstream porn in terms of I don't really know that many mainstream porn performers or anything but I'm like so adamantly focused on advocating for mainstream porn in the indie feminist sector which is like it's so demonized because I feel like that's the only way I can balance out my instinct for like respect is I'm like everyone deserves respect like this person deserves respect we deserve respect and we don't have to position ourselves against each other or better than each other when we're all being marginalized and and it's been so challenging I like literally my friends will watch me write write those emails or write those texts when I'm in a passionate argument with a family member or friend trying to like desperately gain respect from them but and then it's just like laughing and hitting delete and being like okay how do I reframe this in a way that's not oppressive to other people in the process Um, which is hard it's (laughs) very hard especially in sex work to be like they deserve respect too you know the most the lowest people on on our cultural hierarchy you could say so that's how I refocus that energy lately my my last question for you, I I'm a person who supports sex work. Like I support sex workers. I'm I do the best that I can. I could absolutely do more to talk about the importance of us supporting sex workers and and like putting our bodies where our politics are, you know, because I think it's a I think it's really strange that we can say I'm sexually liberated, but also not support sex work or like uh, support the people who are doing sex work. And so I guess what I want to know from you is how, how can we support you? Like people who are not in sex work, people who are claiming to be sexually liberated, who aren't that surface level sexual liberation, but are full fledged sex positive, sexually liberated beings. Like how, what are the best ways that we can support sex work and sex workers? So there are like a few incredibly underfunded nonprofits like sex work grassroots orgs that you can donate to who are already doing that work and, and are usually run by and for sex workers. So Lestrada is one of them where you can just literally Venmo them money and they're like sex for sex workers, by sex workers. We have like the Sex Workers Project. We have um, the Red Umbrella Project. We have like a few staple, and usually they're best like locally, obviously, in any nonprofit context, like grassroots local orgs are, are your best bet to get involved. But instead of trying to like, um, instead of trying to like post about it on like social media or like loudly show that you're like a supporter of sex workers, like 
donate money to these orgs if you're able to buy porn from these performers if you're able to like financially sex work really needs a lot of help where the people who kind of like monopolize sex work politics which is what we see in like sesta fosta are like incredibly well-funded um anti-sex work sex trafficking orgs and so by giving money away from those orgs and into the hands of like sex work communities is so important on like a base level. And I think like um, recently what I've been feeling is a lot of people have their sex work knowledge kind of very surfacey from, from the internet and stuff. So part of like learning is like, go get Melissa Gear grants playing the whore, go read a book, go access like resources, like titsandsass.com, for example, is all by and for sex workers. And it's full of articles and archives on like every topic you could imagine, like, do your research and like, listen to what sex workers are saying, do your research and like, get involved in ways that already, there's already infrastructure for them to exist. And then I think like a huge thing we've been seeing in New York, which is, you know, my my community, so I can really only speak to like that experience is, is sex workers are really rallying behind politicians who are taking an anti-sesta FOSTA platform. So like showing up to vote and starting to vote for our House and Senate um, is really important as well. So I know it sucks because I feel like how I feel in in kind of the climate of America in, in United States of America is like, how can we do anything? Sometimes it feels so hopeless and like so fucked for everyone that it's almost feels privileged for me to be like the sex work when I'm like, we fully, I mean, there's so many when it comes to even the borders right now, when it comes to like immigrants right now, when it comes to like black people, black women, incarceration, like education. I mean, there's so many layers that it's sometimes feels like, um, it sometimes can feel, for me at least, debilitating or powerless. Maybe debilitating is the wrong word. I can feel very powerless in the cultural, in the cultural climate right now. And it's those little things like that make a huge difference. Following a sex worker, listening, sending us a DM that you know, like you did that to me during Sesta Fosta, and like I wasn't able to respond to everyone right away, but I totally clocked and recognized every single person who said something to me and every single person who didn't. So, and, and, and not expecting a response. Sometimes it's like people want like the, the golden like ribbon for being like the best ally ever. And I talk about this with like my trans partner all the time. Cause like sometimes people will be like, I want to support you. And then you like don't respond and they're mad at you. Cause they're like, I was just trying to support you. And you're like, it's not about you mm. right now. Like it's about like what I'm going through. And like, so I get that you're open opening up a space for me to talk about my feelings, which I really actually appreciate and love as long as it's like not, um, ex- not as long as there's not an expectation that I have to necessarily engage or respond until I'm like able to or whatnot, just like you did with the start of this podcast, like say what you want, say what you don't want to say. And, and those kinds of contexts that like just make me feel safe and make me feel cared about, but not like required to um, do more labor. Cause Sesta Fosta, it was like, I felt, especially as kind of a sex work figure, it felt like everyone was like, okay, say something. And I was like fully crying for four weeks in a puddle not and I was like I can't say anything like I I physically am so distraught by what's happening that like it's the second everyone's looking at me and and it's like the first time I was like I I can't be this person for for social media or for the community today and then 
the the people who I did see speaking out against it right away were kind of in their 30s or 40s, like more OG sex workers who this isn't their first rodeo and this isn't their first like legal uh, dance, so to speak, who like really took the mic. And I think that is important to recognize too, is that there's so many sex workers who are doing this work and who, who have been doing this work so much longer than me. And there's going to be so many cool, badass, like young sex workers who are coming around right now, who are going to like totally do even cooler and more badass work than like me and, and my elders and challenge everything I say in this podcast. And I'll like live for it. Cause I know that like, uh, if we've contributed to the conversation at all, that being challenged is like the greatest part of history, like prove me wrong in, in every yes. way, you know, like I'm excited for, for the next gen um, to like come up and just, and be little geniuses that they are. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that's kind of like a, a really disappointing answer because I wish there was like a magical, no. a magical answer. I actually really appreciate that answer. It's like, it's really doable and it, it really, it, it's important to remember that like, posting on the internet about something is not as impactful, if at all impactful, <laughs> as like giving your coins to people who actually need them and like really showing up and supporting the sex workers that you know and letting them know that like, hey, I see you. You're safe with me. Like, let me know if you need anything. Like that shit, that, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. With all that information out there, doing that homework and just really listening right now, like really listen to what the sex workers are saying, whether that means following, going online right now and following 10 sex workers, like just click on who I follow and scroll through and you'll, you'll be bound to find some really, really cool trans, black, POC, indigenous, differently abled, fat, femme, whatever sex workers. I follow so many different kinds of people and, and different kinds of sex work and it's changed my life personally and changed my politics. Oh, Ali, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, for giving us space to ask some interesting and complicated questions, and just for being so graceful and patient <laughs> with me as I learn. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for teaching me so much and continuing to hold space on the internet in a way that the internet doesn't want us there. Where do you want people to find you um, and the work that you're doing and the projects that are coming up for you? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Come Manifesto, which is C-U-M-M-A-N-I-S-T-O. Uh, you can also check out my trailers if you want on Vimeo under Ali Oopsie. Um, and you can check out my porn if you want. You'll find it from any one of those platforms or just by Googling my name. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Sexually Liberated Woman is produced, edited, and designed by me, Effian Whitney, with editing help by Justine McClellan and community support from each one of my very special patrons on Patreon. If you love The Sexually Liberated Woman, I'd love it if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help sustain The Sexually Liberated Woman, go to patreon.com slash slwpodcast and become a patron. I would love that too. 
As for me, you can find me on my website, sexloveliberation.com, where you can subscribe to my newsletter and learn more about my work as a sexuality doula. I'm also on Instagram at evian.whitney. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you in the next episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.